0: Hey folks, welcome to 2020. And today, as ever, every new year for the past couple of years, I have welcomed my friend Andrew McConnell from rented.com to talk to us about what was great, what was not so great about the previous year and to give us his take on what's coming in this new and fantastic year. Well, hello and welcome to another episode of the Vacation Rental Success Podcast. I'm Heather Bayer and Happy New Year to everybody. You know, for me, it doesn't seem any time at all since it was the year 2000. (laughs) That's the scary, scary thing. I remember sitting on... So clearly I remember sitting on London Bridge as Big Ben struck midnight at the end of 1999 and we're all going oh my god i hope our computers aren't going to crash for those of you who were around at that time and who had businesses it was a real it was a real thing the whole thing about the change of the century and and i have to say at that time in 2000 i would never have imagined where i would be in 2020 it's really interesting when we start talking about goals and maybe five-year, 10-year, 20-year plans. You've just got to dream the unimaginable because it's so amazing where life takes us. I had no idea in the year 2000 as we sat on that bridge that three or four years later, I would be living in Canada and I would be starting a property management business. Yeah, it just wasn't on the cards then. We had a property in Canada, but we were just using it. We're just renting it out a bit. And and I had a thriving travel business in the UK and a management training company. So there was no reason to do something different. So you never know what's going to happen. I remember Mike at that time. Those of you who know my son, Mike, who's my business partner now, he was such a boy at that time. Uh, he was, oh gosh, um, he was 19 at that time and had a girlfriend and they weren't with us on that New Year's Eve. And flash forward 20 years and and here he is living in Canada married not to that same girlfriend and two kids and of course the boat trip last year you know buying a boat and all this sort of stuff he he certainly never had any of that on the cards when we passed that milestone on the sound of big ben at the end of 1999 anyhow that aside that's my little trip down memory lane because today we're going to take another trip down memory lane but we're just going to make it a little bit uh, closer to home and closer in terms of timing. We're just going to look back over the last year and we're going to look ahead to what's coming up in 2020. Now, for the past two years, I have invited Andrew McConnell from rented.com to come and share his wisdom with us. Andrew is an amazing commentator on this business. He's supremely intelligent. Yeah, he's got degrees from Yale and Harvard I do believe and he has been in the vacation rental business for at least a decade and he knows his stuff he is often called upon by skift and other tourism travel technology related platforms to comment on what's happening to comment on some of the more global changes that happen in the industry And also to talk about some of the, you know, less than global changes. You know, how is this all going to impact the independent and the small manager? And I love that Andrew has this grasp on all the different players in the industry, whether it's an individual owning a single property right up to the vacasas and turnkeys stay Alfred Saunders of this world, and beyond into what Google are doing and what Airbnb and Away are doing. So I'm going to turn it over to Andrew. So without further ado, let's move on over to my interview. Well, I'm super excited to have back with me again for our New Year Extravaganza. <laughs> <So> a big <laughs> welcome to Andrew McConnell of Rented.com. Happy New Year to you.
1: Happy New Year. Can you believe it's 2020 already?
0: I know. In my introduction to this, I was reminiscing back to the year 2000.
1: and Yeah, that's where my head just went.
0: <laughs> <laughs> where were you?
1: I was in Greenville, North Carolina for New Year's from 99 to 2000. That's where my parents still lived there at that time. That's where I grew up.
0: Mm hmm. I was I was just saying that I was sitting on London Bridge.
1: Oh wow. Okay. Li-
0: listening to big but my um my stepdaughter works at a very prestigious law firm. She's a partner in that law firm and she, their, their their offices Linklater? are Linklater? A white their their offices are right next to London Bridge.
1: Okay. Which one? Linklaters
0: or Uh oh, I do you know I I, I can't remember which one it was at the time.
1: Okay. She, she's right. a, she's actually, taking us whale. <laughs>
0: <laughs> no it wasn't it wasn't that one began, okay. began with a b okay. anyhow yeah she she now works for another she, she's one of um she's one of the uk's top planning
1: lawyers oh wow so she, they need they need a lot of planning
0: oh uh, they do i mean she was involved a- in, in the whole they do need planning now but she was involved with the yeah. whole um re-, re regeneration of all the olympic um yeah, a- area in, in London after after the Olympics. So uh, so yes, very, very proud true. of her when we see her sort of standing up in Parliament and talking to uh, MPs. Ah. Ah. <laughs> but anyway, so back to that. So we were sat on London Bridge as Big Ben struck. And and I was just saying in the intro, in, in the intro that uh, who would have imagined 20 years ago where we'd all be now?
1: I certainly did not. I was still in college at that time. Mm-hmm. I did not know where life would take me.
0: Yeah, I bet you'd never had a clue that you'd be involved with short-term rentals
1: I had no idea
0: it's just that thought you know if you're th- coming into a new decade and planning ahead planning ahead for your 5 10 20 uh, 20 years ahead then really just go for the dreams because life takes you anywhere
1: that's right <laughs>
0: So let let's go back to what 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 has just passed because it was a really interesting year for us and I know it was for for a lot of other property managers. I just want to run this by you just very briefly what happened to us in two thousand nineteen. Is that we were happily plodding along as we have done for the past fifteen years as a as a mm-hmm. property management company with one hundred and eighty properties, and we have this these patterns and trends that have just carried along every single year, and it has not deviated until two thousand and nineteen and then all of a sudden it was like somebody came along and put a huge spanner in the works and says, "No, you know the demographic's now different, people want different things." So you've got to do some pivoting. What happened is we got to the end of um, the end of May, and as normally happens, not we expected, that we would be around about eighty percent, eighty-five percent booked for the summer, um, because by the end of June we'll be at ninety-six percent. That's what happens. It's a July August
1: yeah season.
0: That's us, that's our season, and we have ninety-six percent occupancy. Last year we got to uh, June the first, and we were sixty-five percent with five hundred weeks open.
1: Wow,
0: and we had not seen it coming. It was just a sea change in traveler behavior. Now I've heard this yeah. from many, many other people that 2019 just you know caused them to to pivot, caused them to think they've got to do something. Some were a little bit more proactive than us. We had to be reactive. We put in a digital marketing campaign and we spent money and. By the end of August, we were back to where we were in 2018. So we, it, it, it recovered, but it was one heck of a shock. Mm-hmm. So what did you hear?
1: Ernest Hemingway had this line that bankruptcy happens slowly than all at once. And I think from the outside end, we think of change and evolution as this slow progression. That's a steady or straight line. And Stephen Jay Gould, I don't know if you're big on paleontology, but had this theory that that's not actually how evolution works. If you go look at the fossil record, it's through these moments of punctuation. It's this idea of punctuated equilibrium. So there's step changes, and then it plateaus for a long time. And then a step change, and it plateaus. And I think 2019 was very much that for our space of these changes were compounding from a lot of the digital changes, consumer behavior, growth of awareness, money pouring in, new technology, bigger managers, and whether you use the cliche of a, the, the straw that broke the camel's back or punctuated equilibrium or just the sea change, as you said, a lot of that, it was a confluence of so many different circumstances that... Even regulation, uh, which I'm sure we'll touch on as well, came together. And while each incrementally over the past ten five years may have seemed small, once they compounded, it had the snowballing effect that seemed like it was overnight everything changed. And I I think that if it hasn't happened to you, listener, yet, it's not far away.
0: I mean, this came as a surprise to us. We had not seen it coming because we were we we'd become complacent, and I think many people had become complacent and not looking too much outside our narrow patterns and trends, not looking outside into the wider world. Mm-hmm. Is this something we've got to do?
1: It is. I, the The thing is, I I think back to the very first VRMA I ever went to. It, it was an Eastern conference back when they used to do the the geographic East and West in the spring. And Matt Curtis, who at the time was still at home Away, was doing a regulation session. And of course, I went there because I'm very interested in it. And barely anybody was attending it. And Matt Curtis was making the point of, look, you think if it hasn't come there, it will never come to your area. But I promise you, it will. This is something that's going to come everywhere. And it's. Whether it's digital changes or the impact of big companies or big dollars pouring in or technology or changing consumer behavior, everybody likes to think they're special. And yes, you are special. You're special just like every single other person is special. But we all are subject to the world and the environment in which we live. And especially in an increasingly digital and increasingly globalized world, these trends and these changes impact everywhere they don't impact everywhere at the exact same time but in relatively short order they impact everywhere and so it's, it's a fine balance to draw of getting caught up in reading media and listening to every single podcast i'm not saying you need to do everyone but this one you most certainly should do and trying to stay up on everything in the space versus getting in your day-to-day job and just executing and you can't do all one or all the other. It's probably 80, 85% you need to just do the job. But you do need to carve out, and I put on my calendar every single week, time to go read and learn because you can't put the blinders on. You need to understand the environment and the changes that are coming in the environment in which you operate. That's, Otherwise, that is that is you, you look back. Yeah.
0: I'm just saying that 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 is excellent advice. And I know that we've been guilty of this is you get into busy time. And yeah, you you don't set aside this time. And I think that's what happened. That's what happened with many companies, many of the smaller companies this year, they got into that busy time, they had their heads to the ground and didn't see, as you say, didn't see it coming. Did anything in 2019 come to you as a surprise?
1: I don't know if there were huge surprises. I mean, I think when we did this last year, we talked about, I said, it's been a while since we had the, actually Expedia's CEO getting fired, I found surprising. But we talked about how we had been a few years out from Expedia buying HomeAway and now Vrbo, And we hadn't had any big splash news like that yet. And so I thought 2019 was going to be the year we had some big splash news. And I would argue that of purchasing Wyndham was exactly that big splash news that something like that was going to happen. I think the the other big trend, more from the media side, and I think wrongly for many reasons, uh, was what I'm phrasing as the, the stampede of unicorns, and that it had been about Verbo and Airbnb, et cetera, the big dollars. But we hadn't really seen management companies, especially newer management companies, get these unicorn valuations. So unicorn being a private company that is valued at more than a billion dollars. And the funny thing about unicorns is the reason they were called unicorns is they were these mythical creatures. No company that was private was worth more than a billion dollars. And as far back as 2015, Reid Hoffman, the guy who founded PayPal and LinkedIn, said, if, it's, if there's a herd of unicorns, can they really be that rare? And I think it took a while for it to make it to our niche of this industry, of property management, but we did start seeing those come in just as I think the party's ending, uh, in terms of we saw what happened with Uber's IPO and Lyft's IPO and WeWork's attempted IPO We'll see how all this plays out. I, I think it, it started getting big, big dollars right at the time that big, big dollars are going to be harder and far fewer uh, between. So it's the best of times. It's mm. the cusp of the worst of times, I think.
0: We, we had this discussion, It was a, and, and I, I was really interested in this at Matt Landau's event in New Orleans just prior to VRMA mm-hmm. International this year. I don't know if you remember that. We were talking, yeah, you were talking there. to, well, we, yes, <laughs> you were talking about the flow of money as we've just, as you've just mentioned, but the flow of money into startups. And I'd, I'd like you to explain that sort of, as you explained to me at that time, you know, how this works, because it's very easy for us as independents and small companies to look at these companies that start up and this massive flow of money into them. And then somebody buys them out and you think, Oh my God, they're rich. They can go off and go on vacation and never come back to work again. You sort of set me straight on that.
1: So. Oh, the dirty secret of venture <laughs> capital? Yes. Yeah, the, the, the people who actually build the companies don't make any money.
0: Yeah, uh, Yeah. So, so if you could explain that, I think people would be really interested in hearing how, how this sort of comes together or not.
1: <laughs> yeah, I think because the the stories that get the media attention are the Larry Pages and Sergey Brenns and the Mark Zuckerbergs. Or even Adam Newman's, right? No one gets paid $1.7 billion to just stop being involved with the company. You're so detrimental. We will give you $1.7 billion to just go away, please. So those are the things we hear about. And we hear about this kind of crucius like wealth accumulating the people who found companies. But the, the reality is not just that 95% of companies plus that take on this money go down to zero and no one gets anything. But that even in those instances are quote successes that get purchased or less typically on the IPOs, but get purchased. When the money comes in, a lot of times they're, they're different, what they call preferences and they'll call them liquidation preferences where you could have participating or non-participating and they'll do multiples. So if you have a 3X participating liquidation preference, that means someone gave you $10 million. And when you sell, they get three times that, so $30 million, they get the first $30 million of the sale, plus they get whatever percentage of what's left of what that $10 million bought them in your company. So in that instance, say they invested $10 million in your company on $10 million pre-money valuation. So at the end, after your $10 million, your company quote is valued at $20 million. Now, you go sell that company for $25 million. Wow, I just, 25, that's great. Like, that's, that's a lot of money. Well, the truth is you get zero because the people who gave you 10 get the first 30 and there's only 25 to divvy up between everybody else, other investors, all the employees, the founders, etc. And so those kinds of participating preferences, the New York Times a year or two ago had a, an article on a company that sold for $450 million. That's a very large number. And literally no one who worked in the company, including the people who founded it, got a single cent of that money. Investors took all of it. And so we, we see these big numbers and we assume these people are off driving. Teslas or Lamborghinis or whatever it is. Um, In reality, they're just getting a paycheck from the company that bought them (laughs) because they took under market salaries for years and years thinking that they're going to be the next Zuckerberg. Uh, In reality, the investors made all the money.
0: I'm in, as in silence now as I was when you talked about that, <laughs> that in New Orleans. Uh, yeah, because I you know, as a layperson, you know I, I run a company, but it's it's a very small, small company. We have no investors, and we plod along from day to day and we we do okay. We do okay and And it's easy to look out and see all this money floating around and thinking, God, you know, I'm working my socks off for my dividend. And I should be out creating something and then selling it for billions. But now I under, Now I feel happier now.
1: Yeah, very, very few companies sell for billions. And of those, very few of the people who found those companies get a ton of the money on the back end, uh, even when they do. Yeah. So having, look, I think especially as we go into the next five years or so, having a company that actually makes money, as, as one of my investors told me, that's the true unicorn, <laughs> a <laughs> company that actually makes money, because that's that's the rare beast.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, In in really really interesting stuff. Let's let's sticking for a second with with the startups. Is this money going to continue to flow into these startups?
1: Yeah, there there are two really counter and countervailing forces here. One is I, I think just like last year, the prediction was we're going to have a big splash news event, and I think it was that buying Wyndham. I think. 2020, we're going to see the first company that's taken a bunch of money on go under. I I don't think it's going to be Bacasa or Sander. I think they've raised too much too recently to possibly be able to burn through all that money. But if you're entirely dependent each month on investors giving you money to be able to make payroll and pay, especially on master leases, pay the leases, et cetera, and investors are no longer willing to give you that money. Banks aren't going to give you that money because they can see you're not going to be able to pay down the debt. You can't even make the next month. And so I, I think, one, we're going to see the first collapse of one of those companies. And I think that will have a chilling effect throughout the industry. I think just like with WeWork and what that's done uh, for the investing environment more broadly, there's going to be more caution. It's going to be more fear than greed. So greed typically drives... Investors, and then it's fear, Mm -hmm. and I think we're going to be in more of a fear cycle. the The tough thing with that, in making that prediction, is I was speaking to a friend and colleague who's a partner at a big four consulting firm who does their deals, their M and A stuff, and he was pointing out that private equity funds have four trillion dollars in dry capital, four trillion that they need to go deploy. And there's a roughly similar number for public companies in cash. So in Apple, Google, Disney, all these companies in their own cash sitting on the side, that's money just sitting there. And when you have Germany issuing government bonds on a negative interest rate, And give me $1,000 and I will pay you back $950. Mm -hmm. That money sitting on the side is desperate to find ways to get deployed, to invest, to make a return. And so uh, for anyone who's seen the big short, where the math genius says, look, here are all the fundamentals. This valuation needs to be diving right now. It needs to be tanking. But there were so many people who needed that number to stay high, that they propped the number up for a long time. And I think we may be in a similar situation that, yes, there is fear, but there's so many people that are so invested and need those numbers to stay high that they may just keep pushing money in to keep pushing up those paper valuations. And so maybe all this language is too arcane. But I, I think on one hand, the fear is going to totally dry up money and it's going to be much harder if you're not able to prove you can make money from customers to be able to raise money. But the other side of the coin is there's just so much money out there and it needs a place to go that despite what all logic should dictate, there may be a lot of irrational investment that continues. And so it's, it's hard to say how those two interplay and how that ultimately washes out.
0: So you mentioned you mentioned Google. Let's just explore yeah. that a little bit, it, a bit more, because for f- for many of us, we we hear about Google Travel, and and if you've been to some of the events, I think they were there at just about every major event this year, uh, as mm-hmm. were Marriott, of course. Can you just explain a little what Google is actually doing in their entrance into our business?
1: Yes, I think Google is the most misunderstood of what's going to happen. I I think and I know you're a big part uh, of Book Direct and I've had this argument uh, over many years (laughs) with everybody in Book Direct but a lot of people are against the OTAs and the listing sites and think that Google will somehow be the savior and Google getting more involved in the space and direct listings and showing the local. I think it's It's potentially the very worst thing that could happen to a small local manager. So the thing with listing sites and OTAs, even though they have their own search algorithms, et cetera, is the reality is that all they care about is user experience and the consumer and conversion rate, et cetera. And as such, if you are a great local on the ground manager, you're going to keep showing up higher in search results. Now, you need some ability to stay on top of what does the algorithm value versus other things. But because they care about the guest experience on the ground, those OTAs and listing sites end up being the great equalizer for a local manager. Because you don't need to be a pay-per-click expert. You don't need to be a Google algorithm expert that's constantly changing and moving up on paid search results. And so I think a lot of people today are looking at, oh, no, 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 don't worry, because Google has this box that it's showing local managers. But look at what happened to Expedia and Expedia's CEO getting fired this year when Google, over time, moves further and further away from showing free SEO-optimized search results and more and more ads and paid search results on top. If they've done that in every other part of their business, I don't know why we don't think Over time, they're going to do that in travel. And in travel, who's going to be able to have deeper pockets to pay per click? Is it going to be the small local manager with fifty properties under management, or is it going to be Sonder and Vacasa and Lyric and the big companies with huge marketing budgets and marketing teams? So while you think that percent that you pay to the OTA is a tough thing, what it actually is is the great equalizer. That when guests go through there, you have As good of a chance as as anyone, if not better than the big companies, because you're so good with your properties in your area that you get those guest eyeballs, when it moves to Google, you don't have deep enough pockets or deep enough expertise to compete. And so I think Google actually for the local manager, them more aggressively getting involved in the space could be the single worst thing to happen
0: that's an interesting take on it. And yeah, I, I love how you mentioned at the outset about direct booking. You know, we are the, we are the Davids of the industry and I would just like you to give me your argument again against the direct booking movement.
1: I think it's misguided. So the direct booking, unless people are going directly to your site. Mm-hmm. So for Marriott, people know the brand Marriott and they will go to Marriott.com Instead of necessarily going to booking.com or searching on Google. Vacasa, people know Vacasa. We'll go to vacasa.com. For a new guest, that's virtually impossible for any local manager. And so for the first time to get a guest, paying that X percent to an OTA or listening site makes all of the sense in the world because that is your single most efficient way to get that guest in. You're not having to build up an entire marketing team, an SEO or SEM expertise. You can just pay a percent of a booking mm-hmm. to a listing site. They're spending all that money. They have all that expertise. They're driving that guest to you. As soon as that guest comes to you, no one ever should be able to get that guest again if they're coming to your location. Mm-hmm. That guest is literally sleeping in your bed. That guest is eating in your kitchen. That guest, when they leave, needs to not think, oh, I booked an Airbnb or I booked a VRBO. That guest needs to think, I booked with this very specific company. And the experience was so incredible that I'm going to reach out to Heather next time we're up there. Mm -hmm. I'm not even going to think of going online. I'm going to email her directly. Or I'm going to text her because I have her phone number. Or I go through the app. Whatever it is, direct to me is on a rebooking. Mm -hmm. Direct on the initial booking, I think, is an unrealistic bar, an inefficient bar, unless you're a big enough company.
0: Yeah, I think we're on the same we're on the same page on that one, Andrew. You know, th- okay, th- there great. is there is still the a, a great place for the OTAs at the outset, but the OTAs are bringing you the traffic, and then once you've got them, then you you sell them on your own brand.
1: Hundred yeah. percent. And it uh, that's I don't know if you remember John Gray, who used to was mm. employee number one, uh, I believe, at HomeAway, and now uh, CEO of RV Share. But he said years and years ago, he said, look, pay us for the first guest. We're going to be far better at finding that first guest for you. But if you ever pay us after for that guest, that's your problem. That's your fault. You should never do that. Even they realize you have the email, you have the phone number, you're the one. This is the thing. No one at Home Away, no one at Airbnb, no one at Booking.com is ever meeting that guest you can actually meet the guests. You can create a personal connection. You can do so much because you're there on the ground with them that you can develop an actual relationship as opposed to just a click. And that's something those companies will never be able to do. But what they can do is get you a great click to get that guest to show up to meet you in the first place. And so use them to your benefit and then own that relationship going forward.
0: Perfect. Let's just move on to regulations because... I've you 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 said earlier on. You said nobody's you know that unique. We all think we're special, but this stuff is out there and it's heading your way. And we we were thinking we were unique up until up until
1: 2019. And you go to all the conferences. You know everything.
0: (laughs) (laughs) I know. And and I've always said you know up here in Canada we're sort of immune to all this stuff, but we're not, and nobody is. And as you say, nobody's immune to regulations. And it really is beginning to hit us and this is this is something we did or some of us did see coming we know what happened in toronto this year it's now spreading out um into it's like a virus spreading out into all our municipalities and townships just as it did in the u.s over the last 10 years or so how is this growth in regulation legislation going to i mean i want to talk about how it's going to impact uh, us as independents and and small managers but what about how it's going to impact the national brands to start with, such as Sondra and Turnkey and Lyric, where they're they're mostly in the urban markets. And this seems to be where most of the regulations are hanging out.
1: Yeah, I, I think this is where those kinds of companies and the ones that ultimately succeed, they adapt. And they adapt quickly. So you think about Amazon, why Bezos went to Washington state and, and set up Amazon in Seattle in the first place was because of what their tax structure was, was that he could go sell stuff online and avoid all sales taxes for most states. And so overnight, he was able to sell things cheaper than anybody in that state was able to sell them. That's a huge advantage. Well, eventually, national regulation got rid of that. That advantage doesn't exist anymore, but Amazon seems to be doing okay. right? He adapted to that. And I think Sonder To take one specific example, in Boston, I think at one point Boston was 20, 23% of all their units, and then they banned them all. And for a lot of businesses, that could kill them. And what Thunder did was went and got hotel licenses, changed how they dealt with it, and went and raised, what, almost $300 million to get them through the storm. And so the only constant is change. Regulation can happen for the better or the worse. It can happen for that advantages some companies over others. And if you have bigger PR budgets and lobbying budgets, you can kind of get regulations that are more advantageous to you and less advantageous to other uh, companies in the space. And so I think it's going to continue to be in flux and the companies that ultimately succeed. And this is why. Doing that 80, 85% head down execute, but that 10 to 15, looking up to see what's happening around you, you need to know what's happening around you to be ahead of the curve and be able to adapt. And that's where some of those bigger companies, they have greater resources mm-hmm. and they can put people on that that are monitoring over time to make sure that they, they don't fall into any traps. And so it is difficult in that, especially financial investors, regulation, it's its like the Hamlet quote, you know, there's neither good nor bad, only our mind makes it so. Regulation, there's neither good nor bad. It's what we do with it, how we adapt, and how we build our business. The the, the tough thing is when it's constantly changing. I mean, New Orleans to me is the single greatest example of this of, okay, you go a couple years ago, they put regulation in place. And said, just not in the quarter, but these other areas, you can do it, et cetera. And you're like, great. As long as there's stability. That's tough on the French quarter part, but great. We know what it's going to be. We can go execute. And then 12 months later, they say, actually, we're going to relitigate the entire thing. And, and open that can of worms all over again. And that's the worst thing that can happen is you think you've locked in regulation. You at least know what the rules are. And you can go play by the rules of the game. And so you lock in a business plan and then they just immediately change it again. And so you just, you can't count on anything staying the same. You can only count on, it's going to change. How quickly it's going to change, which direction it's going to change, for how long it will change before it changes another way. That's all uncertain. And so just being adaptive is is probably the single most important part.
0: So it sounds like 2020 will be the year of the pivot.
1: 2020, I, I think 2020 is when small becomes big business. I think attention in the media, I think attention at conferences, attention in a variety of ways have been heaped on the larger companies. Mm -hmm. And just because big numbers make for clickbait And people raising lots of money, that's what people want to write about. The truth is that the majority of the industry is still managed by local managers. The even more uncomfortable truth is that more than 100% of the profits Are made by local managers because all those big companies are running losses. So all profits plus some are made by the local managers. And I think as there's investment pressure on some of the bigger companies that can't just push subsidized rentals out under market, it's actually going to help local companies be able to push rates up um, and see some profits go up. And I think people will start respecting what great local companies do in a way that they haven't in the past. Mike Harrington had a great tweet a couple months ago about, hey, maybe there's a reason this industry is, quote, fragmented. Maybe the people doing this for tens or more of years actually know something about how the industry works. And so uh, I think that, maybe self-interestedly, but that I think is going to be the trend of 2020, is. Vision is going to get better and people are going to see the reality and see the truth. You'll really get 2020 vision of what's happening in the space, who makes money in the space, who's good at operating in the space.
0: Well, that certainly seems more that's that seems positive, optimistic. That's good for me. (laughs) Say <laughs> so, um Andrew if, if let's say somebody out there is listening and they they they're an independent owner and they're thinking about this year this decade I'm going to start a property management company what would you advise them what are the sort of the top couple of things that you'd say you know do not do this unless
1: unless you love hospitality don't do this because you think airbnbs sexy or you think this is an easy place to make money because it's not easy there's nothing about this job that is easy. To, to tell one quick story on that, uh, was it 2014 or 2015? Maybe the 5th of July, 6th of July, I was having a call with Cliff Johnson, who now works with me, but had founded with Eric Picasso. And that was the year they had just been named Inc.com's ninth fastest growing company in the country. They had made $64 million or something the year before. And Cliff was the co founder and CEO of this company. And I said, Cliff, How was your 4th of July? And I'm saying this sitting in a vacation rental in uh, Paso Robles with a bunch of friends. We're out for a wedding. I'm having a great 4th of July. Say, Cliff, how was your 4th of July? You know, you're running this huge company, or the family He's like, well, it was was a lot of hard work. Uh, We were understaffed. So I was doing house cleanings and turnings um, along with Kate. And Kate is his wife who worked at Nike, did not work for the company. But got to spend her vacation day helping Cliff wash sheets and scrub toilets for their vacation rentals. So just to be 100% clear to people, don't get into this if you think it's an easy buck. Get into it because you love hospitality. You love seeing the smile on the piece of people's faces and, and reading the stories of the impact that you had on their vacation, on their trip, on their family, or their group of friends that came to stay in the place. That's why you should get into this space. That's number one. Number two, as you're building, don't get, kind of returning to the the conversation at the beginning, don't get caught up on huge numbers in the future. Focus on making money today. A dollar from a customer is worth more than 10 times more than a dollar from an investor. Be customer funded. Let your guests pay your way. If, If you cannot make money from guests and how you run your business, you're not running your business the right way. Start with that. Start with the love of the job because it is a job. It, it can be a calling. It can be a passion center, but it's still a job. Start with love and end with profit.
0: And do you think they're going to succeed?
1: I, I have no idea. <laughs> you know, it's uh,
0: yeah, probably, better, it? probably a better way of, of, of putting it is if, if somebody's going into the business right now, they have the love of hospitality. They know they're going to be cleaning toilets and hot tubs and, and sorting out linens in in fact talking um my my good friend Andy Medic from Sea Change Vacation Rentals you know I, he's been in business 5 years has a wonderful company in Delaware beaches and and this past summer you know he was posting on his website a, a picture of the of the back of his vehicle as he's driving away from a property one summer saturday and it's absolutely piled high with linens Ready for the laundry, yeah. and he just put a day in the life of a vacation rental manager. And this is five years in, and he's CEO, and he has all the staff, and, and he's still one hundred percent in it. I mean, I've been in my I'm in my company for eighteen years, and I've last two years I just started stepping back.
1: Mm-hmm. Well, you have to love it. I mean, it's not sitting behind a computer for a couple hours a day.
0: Mm-hmm. It is an
1: on the ground hand to hand combat. When you deliver hospitality, it's an in-your-face hospitality. There's real physical sheets, physical toilets, physical guests. You have to deal with all of that. It's not a digital business.
0: So, so, so you have all this hospitality. You've got the hospitality gene. And you understand about being customer-funded, money's not going to pour in, and you don't want it anyway unless it's coming from the the, the, the guests. So to succeed, is, is that
1: sufficient? No, you still have to be adaptive because the environment's going to change. You still have to hire incredibly well. You still have to know where to focus your time and where not to. The reality is 67% of businesses go out of business in their first 10 years. Only a third of companies make it after their 10-year birthday. And so starting a company, it's a high-risk proposition. That's why you say, will they succeed? I don't know. Depends on your definition of success. Depends who they are. Depends what they want. You know, there's some people that could say, hey, I love hospitality. I just don't love it 24-7, 52 weeks a year, (laughs) you know? And so (laughs) they get five years in and they say, I think I'm actually going to sell. I have a good business. It's just I just don't love this anymore. And that could still be a success. They could decide to just shut down and they go find another profession that they're passionate about. And that could be a success because they learned a lot and had a great time while they were doing it. But didn't build a Vakaser, didn't build a company that stayed around for 25 years. That could still be success. So I think we have to each have our own definition of success, and that definition is not going to stay the same over time. We, as people, not just the environment we operate in, not just the company that we're running, but we as people and what we want out of life changes. Your family circumstances change. Your physical health changes. And so I, I think it's it's something that. And this is a great time of year to do it, as people are doing New Year's resolutions and everything. To really take that step back and not just look at the ecosystem, not just execute day to day, but look at your own life and what you want to get out of it, and be a proactive player in that instead of just a reactive bit part.
0: Yeah, good advice. So spend eighty percent of eighty percent of your time in the business eighty to eighty five, and then the rest learn about what's going on in the wider picture of the industry. Yeah. I think that that's, that's a big lesson that's come out of this conversation with you. And I, I, of course, because I'm, I'm out there in that 15%, hopefully delivering the information that people need to take on board. So I thank you for that, for, for yeah, absolutely. mentioning that one. So well, wh- I thank you for doing it. <laughs> so what's, what's up with you for 2020? What are you going to be doing? Cause I know you love to write. You love the commentary that you make in the media. I mean, that that's if if anybody's out there looking for this information, you're going to hear Andrew mentioned um, because people are coming to you for that commentary. So is this going to continue?
1: I believe so. I, as you said, I love to write, so uh, I'll continue to write. I actually wrote a book that I'm working, trying to get published now, um, the startup stoic. So taking ancient stoic philosophy and applying it to building a company. So the the name is the Startup Stoic Founding Lessons from Seneca, Epictetus, Marcus Aurelius, and Building Rented.com. So really taking some of that ancient Roman philosophy, applying it to life and to the entire journey of building a company. So hoping to to get that out there it may, may be twenty twenty, maybe twenty twenty one. But I, the first draft is complete.
0: Wonderful. Wonderful. What about rented.com? What directions go? We're going to keep,
1: keep going. The, what we're doing, the, the biggest is revenue management as a service for local management companies. You know, it's the big companies, if you're a Vacasa, if you're a Sonder, if you're Lyric or one of those that you've raised a ton of money, you have hundreds, if not thousands of employees, you have data science teams, you have uh, revenue management teams, you have marketing teams, finance teams the local manager still is having to compete online and compete for guests and guest eyeballs and bookings with those bigger companies, but without the same resources. And we look at that and said, well, we can build those same resources and make them available to everyone. And so it's not, back to OTAs as a great equalizer and letting the local manager compete against the the bigger companies. That's the same thing we do is we want to help you help the local manager compete. We know you deliver great local service. We know you deliver great hospitality. Those things that you can't build in-house because you're not at the same scale to have the same access to data and technology and the team and the tools, we can help you with those. And so the biggest is revenue management as a service, but we do all sorts of business consulting services um, that we make available to local companies that are looking to grow, increase profitability, or just maintain in an ever-changing world. Well, I'll
0: make sure there's a link to rented.com on the show notes. So Andrew, it's uh, always a huge pleasure to, to do this, uh, to do this episode at the beginning of every year, you motivate and inspire me to get, get going. I for one, I'm going to start talking to my staff and get them understanding what's going on in the wider world too, because I think it's just as important as it is for me and my business partner to know what's going yeah, on. It is. It's to, it's to, I, you know, I go back to years ago at Reader's Digest and, and I, I was a customer service trainer for Reader's Digest for, for a number of years. And we used to get a package of information that, uh, that, that came to my desk every, every week. And, you know, I went through it, I read it and it was articles. It was things that were in the press about the company and who was achieving what. And, 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 it was interesting stuff. And then we um, passed that out to all our team and it's something that we haven't really been doing within our own company. And and that's something Mm. that I think we will instigate for, for, for this year. Um,
1: Yeah. I think that's
0: a great idea. Yeah. Andrew, always, always a pleasure. I will see you no doubt at uh, an an industry event, maybe not so near us (laughs) sometime in 2020, whether it's, uh, whether it's Orlando or London or, whatever. I will look forward to another session of great conversation with you and we'll look out for you in the media. And I hope you have a wonderful 2020 uh, for you, your business and your family.
1: You as well. Thank you so much for having me, Heather, and have a great 2020.
0: As ever, uh, an inspiring, motivating conversation with Andrew McConnell of rented.com. Thank you so much, Andrew, for, for joining me. Always a huge pleasure to talk to you and be educated. I always come away from these sessions feeling, uh, no, I was going to say feeling like I've been in a lecture, but that sounds, that, that doesn't sound what I'm trying to say. I feel like I have learned something. And, and definitely taking away this idea of getting myself and my whole staff out there learning something every week. So what we're going to do is is to start compiling uh, information from the web and packaging it up and just sending it out to all our staff and say, look, guys, take an hour out each week and read it and come back and make some comments. Let us know what you how you think we can apply this to us, or if you think it's going to have an impact on us. And we'll get some, I'm hope hopefully, get some collective wisdom from our team on how what's happening outside of our small little environment could impact us in in the long term. So that was just one little thing I took away from my discussion with Andrew. Always take a ton of stuff. Okay, a little bit extended this, this week because of all this interesting content. I would love to hear from you as to what you guys are doing in 2020, what you're going to do that's different this year from last year. Um, any commentary on where you see the industry going? I often come back to this episode sort of six months down the line, listen to it again, because Andrew, you know, he's thrown in a couple of little predictions in there. You may have picked them up. You may not. If not go back and listen again um, in six months time and see where we are then because things are changing so rapidly. We'll continue to do so. And Hopefully, we all stay grounded as we go through this new year. So, we've got a bunch of great interviews coming up over the next couple of months. I've got so many interesting people lined up to talk to me about every little aspect of our business. So, if there's anything that you'd particularly like to hear about, please let me know. Don't forget that Wednesdays at 2 p.m. Eastern Standard Time. You can join myself and Mike and Jason on what we call office hours. And it's simply a Zoom conversation. It's completely free to join. You can come along, join in. If you've got a question, we are happy to. You can go live and ask your question. Or you can simply sit in the background and listen to other people ask theirs. And you can make comments in the chat room and, and be involved and contribute. We have great discussions every Wednesday. Would love to see you there. It's been a pleasure as ever being with you. If there's anything you'd like to comment on, then join the conversation on the show notes for the episode at vacationrentalformula.com. We'd love to hear from you. And I look forward to being with you again next week.